0: Welcome to the Classical U podcast. I'm Jesse Hake. I'm the director at Classical U. Classical U is a subsidiary of Classical Academic Press, a curriculum and monograph publishing company. At Classical U, we provide training for teachers and parents interested in learning more about classical education, how to deliver this method in your classrooms, in your homes. I mostly spend time talking with presenters and live learning event guests, and we look forward to sharing more with you as you tune in. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen, for being on the show with Classical U. It's been very wonderful having you and your husband here as uh, you're recording this week with uh, Classical U course uh, that is on art and archaeology, teaching Latin through uh, specific sites in Rome. And uh, we're so excited about that, as well as uh, some material on the Aeneid. I know you've just completed a master's degree at Edinburgh. That's uh, an exciting new stage in your life, opening Mm up uh, new opportunities and questions. And uh, that's a master of science with distinction in classical art and archaeology. You've been serving uh, for several decades, really since early in the renewal, um, Grace Academy in Georgetown, Texas, teaching Mm -hmm. Latin there and uh, as chair of their Latin program. Uh, Also a classical academic press author, uh, contributing to uh, really the lead author in our Latin Alive series and contributing to the History Reader in Latin, uh, in the Latin for Children series that we have. Mm -hmm. And, also with a, a new kind of project underway that's uh, still in, uh, in development, but very exciting to hear about, and I hope to talk about in another episode with you, the Tournament of Laurels and um, offering a chance for um, students and schools to sign up for um, Latin competitions, Latin events uh, that would be kind of an alternative uh, complement to the Junior Classical League uh, events. And uh, so thank you so much. I, I would love to start out by asking, you know, referring to the fact that you've been uh, writing and teaching in the classical renewal, uh, really since the beginning. You know, we, we use the term uh, classical renewal or movement. Uh, it's only been a couple of decades in the United States now, relatively young in, in many ways. Um, but as someone who's seen, seen uh, kind of the story unfolding from the beginning, what would be some key insights and wisdom for um, parents on the one hand, uh, teachers on the other hand, considering classical education for their students? Um, what are some strong points? What are th- some things to watch out for? Or teachers, you know, considering a career change or, or uh, just nearing the end of their college and thinking, should I, is this a direction that I would wanna go in? Uh, some tips for them.
1: Wow, well, thank you so much for having me, Jesse. It's always good to be here, you know, having worked with CAP for the number of years that I have. You all are wonderful friends and family, and so it's always just a great opportunity to be here in Pennsylvania, especially when it's so hot in Texas. It's, <laughs> it's a really nice escape, so always a delight. That is a, a very broad question, but at the same time, I, as you know, I, I fit into all of those categories in addition to the the work that you have so kindly mentioned in my introduction. I'm also the mother of three students mm-hmm. who attended a classical Christian school, Grace Academy, kindergarten through twelfth grade, mm-hmm. and who are all now. Two of them are now have now successfully completed university. One of them actually returning to teach in a classical Christian school, and the youngest will be concluding her senior year. Wow. So again, there's and you see we've seen so much change over the past couple decades as well. So. I guess to speak to the, the first question, looking into a classical Christian school, you know every school has its highs and its lows, its ups and mm-hmm. its downs because no place is perfect. And yet I think within a classical Christian school, hopefully as members of the Christian faith we're also humble enough to see that and always strive towards pursuing excellence and, and trying to better ourselves. I think you know when we talk about classical Christian education, the first thing we always think of is is the curriculum what we're teaching. And certainly there is some excellence to be pursued in that. I think I know for my own students, my own children who are former students, I should say, um, as they have ventured into university years, they've had their um, they've had their joys in their experiences and they've had their critiques and their criticisms. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as they've gone into university and beyond, they've been able to look back and while they can fully recognize the things that were less than wonderful and Mm. were difficult, the positives have been, thankfully, the positives have outshone those Mm -hmm. and they will talk quite a bit about the preparation that that kind of education gave them for university and for career. Mm -hmm. And all of that I think really hinges back on studying the great texts Mm -hmm. and having the opportunity to read books such as the Aeneid, which you mentioned earlier, and Homer's works, but seeing how they then inspire other writers. We talk about Augustine, we talk about Dante, and Milton, and Shakespeare, and the philosophers, the the Boethius and Plato, and all of these, these many wonderful names in these great books. And they're taught to to approach them with a critical eye Mm -hmm. and an appreciation. One of my sons, I can remember in, uh, I believe it was in high school, was not the greatest fan of poetry. (laughs) And I remember having a conversation with him then, and him saying, I don't like poetry, but I'm learning to appreciate poetry. And I said, that's fair. I'm happy with you just appreciating poetry. But then as he was studying his degree at, he was at Texas a University, and he was studying a course in in the epics, the great epics, mm-hmm. Iliad, Odyssey, Argonauts, Aeneid, even went down to the Christiad. And this was at the same time that I was studying in Edinburgh. And the conversations that we had were so rich. Mm-hmm. Here's my son, who at one point in time had said, I, I really just don't like the po- the poetry mom, and particularly he was talking about some of the early medieval and the, the classical, and it's, it's not easy reading, mm-hmm. I understand. Yep. But here he is, not only taking this class of his own volition, but finding the beauty in it, loving it, and recommending things to me in it, mm-hmm. to the point where at one point in time I'm writing a paper on sculpture, it was on the Sperlonga group, which appears in our classical U course. Mm-hmm and I was looking for a particular source to to connect Sextus Pompey to this particular statue, and Matthew says to me, Mother, have you looked at Luke in Civil War? I think that would be a good resource for you. <laughs>
2: yeah. And I
1: have to say, in that moment, I'm sitting in the library at Edinburgh, reading this text exchange, and my heart is overflowing. Mm-hmm. And so, there are moments of struggle for us as parents and as teachers, mm-hmm. And we're working with a, a vessel, a vase here that we're trying on the parent side and also on the teacher's side. And hopefully, in the ideal classical Christian school, the parents and the teachers are working on that shaping together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're smoothing out the rough spots. And maybe this particular teacher doesn't handle something well, or this particular assignment is difficult, or this particular r- relationship with a, a friend is going through a rough spot. But that's part of life. That's part mm-hmm. of challenge. That's part of the beauty and the difficulty that come together and shape us. And so knowing those highs and lows from the teacher view and from the parent view to see in my own children and then some of my other former students, how that has shaped them and the man or woman of God that they're becoming, I will not dare to be so arrogant to say it's all because of classical Christian education. But I also know, and I say this humbly, that God used that to help me as teacher, to help me as parent. In shaping and preparing these students for whatever calling God has for them, and and that's what Timothy in I, th- I believe it's in Timothy is it First Timothy three seventeen um, that Paul writes to Timothy and says, you know all the scripture that you've learned this has all been about shaping you all been about equipping you, and and that I think is our mission and our goal. And I think I would say to parents if you're looking for a place to come alongside you to help educate your children whom God has entrusted to you first of all remember God has entrusted them to you not to the teacher not to the administrator they're your responsibility. so you want to find a school a program that's going to come alongside you with whom you can work with in a positive relationship Mm -hmm. to help shape and craft your student knowing that you really don't know what that path is that God has for them Mm -hmm. You might think it's this or that occupation. And certainly as a parent, I can say it was fun to kind of play that guessing game. Oh, I see this talent. I see that. What is God going to do here? Mm -hmm. But it's also just so fun in this stage to see my children, now adults, spreading their wings and soaring and to look back and see how God used the strengths in those schools and even some of the unpleasant challenges in those Mm -hmm. schools to shape them. And prepare them for the path they're walking now. So I would say that's the the first takeaway.
0: Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's a deeply personal uh, kind of. I don't want to say transformative. I mean, a lot of us have stories of a really kind of personal transformation, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual blessing, uh, you know, in connection to our work with classical Christian education. Um, but you're talking about a kind of uh, you know deep flourishing, you know, that you've. Had the privilege of witnessing, not as a result, as you say, of everything being perfect or classical education being uh, the only or the most critical factor, but as a part of the mix, uh, you've seen this uh, beautiful mother-son, you know, relationship. The the specific example you gave uh, unfold. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, to the teachers, uh, you know, what uh, those uh, you know, young college, uh, about to be college grads, someone you know, maybe in a career. <clears throat> They've heard all this stuff from friends or wherever it might be about classical Christian education. We have uh, a good number of examples of people who are moving from college teaching to in teaching in a classical Christian K-12 school. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> any words of uh, warning or advice or uh, encouragement to potential teachers?
1: Sure. I recall talking to one educator, actually I think it's probably more than one, who said to me early on that... The key to a great teacher is to love students first, mm-hmm. to be passionate about their subject area, their discipline second, mm-hmm. and to, above all else, love and honor God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think that so aptly sums that up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We need to love our students yep. beyond, the, as, as we do with parents too, right? We, we love our students. We love our children. And... With a point of grace and a point of mercy, I always tell teachers, you don't know what's happening for that student at home. Mm -hmm. So when they come home or excuse me, when they come to school Mm -hmm. and they are having a bad day or an off day or the work's not quite up to snuff. I think all too often we as teachers will jump to taking that at at face value. So remember we don't know what's going on behind the curtain, which is why we should always also be open with parents. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the beautiful elements of our classical Christian schools that oftentimes we really build this relationship and partnering with parents mm-hmm. and say, hey, Johnny did great on this paper. It's his best work yet. Parents mm-hmm. need that encouragement. Please yep. start out the year by pointing out the good things you see in those students And then when you say, I notice Johnny's having a bad week. Is everything okay? Is there something I can help with? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes if a parent comes in with a a parent conference and has a concern, always being very open to say, "Um, Mrs. Smith, here's what I'm seeing. Please help me understand what you're seeing so that Mm -hmm. we can partner together to provide your child the best education possible or to help them get over this Bump in the road if there's a bump in the road so I think that's one thing that's loving the student I think we need to make sure that students see how much we love what we teach I have had students and I say this with all humility who've said I'm choosing to take Latin again next year when it gets to the point of being an elective sometimes it's required sometimes it's an elective not because I like Latin so much, but because I really enjoy Mrs. Moore's class. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of response I want. So I want to bring, we talk about bringing Latin alive, but I do, I want them to see how excited I get, how how much joy it brings me to see a particular way that Virgil writes a line of a poem. Mm -hmm. Or for example, with this art and archeology span course, this is the reason I went to Edinburgh to study this. And I came back telling the students this. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go study where m- written texts lined up with material evidence that is i want to stand in rome and say hey let's look at the ark of titus and do you realize all the history that this mm-hmm. arc is arch is telling us and these texts that talk about it mm-hmm. or the same thing about a particular statue or a monument and i think that you don't just have to go to rome to do that these are things we can bring into our classroom mm-hmm. to do that and to bring that excitement that love that passion And that will change students' minds. Do you know, I actually began my study in Latin at seventh grade. And that was because my mother made me. And I was really disappointed. I had wanted to, I had put French first on my choice sheet and German second. Because I wanted to be a ballerina and I had German relatives. And Latin third. And only because my mother just would not relent on how much I should take Latin. (laughs) But I had teachers Mm -hmm. who shared their passion And I began to see their passion for Latin, their excitement for Latin. And my mother teases me, yes, I made you take it, Karen, but it was just supposed to be for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And here I've gone quite beyond that. (laughs) But I want to share that passion with my students. And I don't expect them all to become classicists, but as my son came to a place of appreciating poetry, I want them to come to a place of appreciating the value of Latin, the beauty of Latin, the benefit of latin not just in their english vocabulary but in so many areas and that's a whole other talk as you know mm-hmm. and then as far as just you know loving the lord we want to teach these things from a christ centered view and that means not that jesus's name has to be invoked in every lesson but be willing to step back and say lord what can i see of you and your hand in creation and history in this moment mm-hmm. and How can I help bring that before my students? And how, Lord, can I let them see you in me as your light? Christ tells his disciples, let your light shine before men. Lord, how can my light shine to bless them and to glorify you? And that comes through an attitude of humility that we must always work through, I think, especially on the days... When it's hard and it's long, right? Yeah. Getting on our knees and saying, Lord, use me. I am your vessel.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> what was your son studying at Texas AM? Because uh, it sounds like the, you know, he's an example of, um, and, and a story I've heard many times a student who is, you know, pursuing one field of study and career, mm-hmm. but continues to love, um, you know, the arts, literature.
1: Sure so uh my son i have i have three children and two of them are aggies i'm a longhorn so that's another interesting story but i have i don't think there's ever been a longhorn more proud of two aggies than i (laughs) am of my sons um and all three of them i see them carrying their classical education Mm -hmm. forward so the eldest is an engineer Mm-hmm. And he graduated with a, a great degree in multidisciplinary engineering, but he leads C.S. Lewis book studies mm-hmm. through his church mm-hmm. and loves those. And I sit back and I watch how he's teaching those, and I see the the imprints yeah. of his classical education on him. The middle one, Matthew's the one I've been talking about, and he pursued a degree in political science with a minor in history. Okay. And um, he is hoping to go to law school. Mm -hmm. But he said, I really want to take time to give back. Mm
2: -hmm. He said,
1: I see what this classical education did for me. I see where I am compared to some of my peers. And they were really Mm shortchanged. So I want to go back and and take some time to give back as I pray, prayerfully consider what the next Mm -hmm. step is. And then my youngest is pursuing a degree in psychology and christian counseling and with her as well she's in the honors college at houston christian university and to see her thrive and carry her classical christian education further mm-hmm. um is has been a blessing and she also was one who was giving me tips mm-hmm. during my studies at edinburgh <laughs> it helped, helped me on my dissertation significantly actually mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was it's really fun to see that come full circle yeah, as yeah yeah
0: no that's a blessing um so you fell in love with Latin, mm-hmm. specifically in seventh grade, uh, I mean, right out of the gate. You, yes. you were forced initially, but uh, really quickly, the teachers won, won your heart over. Mm-hmm. Um, what specifically was your, um, you know, how did you hear about classical Christian education? And what was your journey? The, the, you know, where did you come from? And uh, how did how did you end up? Teaching uh, and, and involved with classical Christian education.
1: Well, that is a fun story, and it is a story of love and romance, Jesse. <laughs> so very best. Yes, it really, it truly is. I will not go Jane Austen though. <laughs> my present husband, then fiance, had purchased a diamond engagement ring from a private seller, who happened to be a mother whose children attended Regent School of Austin. So after I said yes to the ring and the man, (laughs) we went back to her to talk about the wedding rings and such and such. And so, of course, she asks me, I'm still at school at the University of Texas at Austin, a classics major. This was my undergraduate. She says, so what are you studying at UT Austin? (laughs) And so I tell her Latin and says, oh, well, and she starts to tell me about Regent School of Austin and Of course, this idea of students starting Latin in third grade and studying these great (laughs) texts was immediately tantalizing to me. Mm -hmm. So she actually put me in touch with Nancy Donaldson, and I did some teaching for Regents in um, my time at UT Austin. And then actually a little bit after I had graduated, but then took a hiatus Mm -hmm. to have children when Michael, our eldest, came up to about school age, I began wrestling with the question every parent wrestles with at that age, and that's, what are we going to do for school? Mm -hmm. And Regents had continued to move south in Mm -hmm. Austin, and we continued to move north. We're in Georgetown, as you mentioned at the beginning, and That's quite a bit north. So one day I'm driving down the road and really praying to the Lord, where do I send Michael to school? Where where do we go? Mm -hmm. And Lord, I really just need a regents here in Georgetown, meaning, of course, a classical Christian education. And not two days later, I'm sitting on the bench with the coach's wife at my son's little five-year-old soccer practice and said to her, where do your children go to school? And she said, oh, we found the most wonderful little school. We love it. It's a classical Christian school. You probably don't know what that is. (laughs) And I said, well, actually, I used to teach at Regents. And she knew the name of the school. So her jaw kind of dropped and said, well, what did you teach? (laughs) And I said, Latin. And her jaw dropped again. And she said, just two days before, the same day I was praying, they were praying for a Latin teacher because theirs had quit. So, immediately goosebumps and i go home and i say brian this is too strange not to be god mm-hmm. we need to look into this and the rest as they say is history wow and that's where that's i still great. am
0: great thank you the um your master's degree work uh in edinburgh what um you've talked a little bit about it um but uh, sp- what were some of the highlights in the in the content itself you know what specifically were you um did you end up writing about in your Uh, Thesis work, and um, what stood out to you there?
1: Certainly. The reason I chose this particular program, as you said, in classical art and archaeology at the University of Edinburgh, is that I wanted to—I knew for years I really wanted to pursue grad school at some point once our children were out of school at Grace Academy— But I was wanting to figure out which direction I wanted to go. I really wanted to pursue the study of material evidence alongside Latin texts. Mm -hmm. And the program at Edinburgh was one of the few places I could do that. I'd had a bit of a taste in 2017. I went on a study tour for Latin teachers with the Virgilian Society, led by Dr. Steve Tuck, who had a PhD in classical art and Mm archaeology. So that's where I thought, oh, that's a thing. And the most memorable experience there was standing at the Sibyl's cave in Kumai, mm-hmm. which Virgil so beautifully describes in book six. Yeah. And to me, that is Latin coming to life. I'm walking through this cave, walking through the mouths and the openings where the winds would blow through, as Virgil writes. And I thought, yes, this is this resonates within mm-hmm. me this is what i want to pursue as as Lewis says farther up farther in mm-hmm. i just wanted more of that mm-hmm. and my husband was just phenomenal he said i i see this in you i see this is god's calling this is your gifting this is the next step and so mm-hmm. um together we pursued this opportunity and At this university, their history, classics, and archaeology are all in one department. So it's very easy to integrate between all those disciplines. So some of the research I did, for example, in the fall, I took a Roman archaeology class And my research work for that particular class was writing a paper on the houses of Herculaneum and how Vitruvius' work from De Architectura Mm -hmm. compares with that. And that had been, Herculaneum is a site that I have visited multiple times. I knew it well, I've taken students there. And so to trace his work and his designs for housing Mm -hmm. and see how well they complemented that was a great deal of fun. And then in the spring, I took a course on Roman sculpture. And there were other courses too, but this was, again, one of the highlights, a course in Roman sculpture. And my paper there was looking at the Sperlonga group and the Laocoon statue, both of which are mentioned in Mm -hmm. the classical U course, and the literature and the history that Um, pertains to them and even shows perhaps the influence behind their design Mm -hmm. and that oh I just absolutely loved that I I have to say my mother my sister my cousin are all artists Mm -hmm. I do not have that talent through my fingers but I have a deep love and appreciation for it Mm -hmm. so to look at beauty next to my lovely Latin poetry Mm -hmm. is is happiness Mm -hmm. And I I thoroughly enjoyed that. But then for my dissertation, I went in a very different direction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it was not the direction I intended, but I also had just prayed and said, Lord, I'm stepping out on this adventure, and I'm just trusting you. Guide me. Mm -hmm. Well, in the fall, another favorite course uh, was Latin literature pertaining to the Judeo-Christian scriptures, and particularly Latin literature of the Antique period. So we were reading Jerome, Augustine, Ambrose, Cassiodorus, all of these wonderful works. And I was introduced to Victorinus, Mm -hmm. who is a forerunner of Augustine Mm -hmm. and was introduced to his work. And he is the first to write Latin commentaries on the scriptures, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly the Pauline epistles. And so I wrote one paper comparing his work with that of Jerome and Augustine on the commentary for Galatians in the fall and enjoyed that so much that I picked up his commentary in Philippians for the dissertation mm-hmm. and wrote on his exploration of suffering and salvation in Philippians of in a particular section of that work, which heretofore had not been translated into English. So that was mm. a wow. delightful challenge, uh, one that I relished and that I hope to continue.
0: Mm-hmm. That is exciting. Um, do you have any uh, details as far as the insights into the passages themselves? Uh, you know, the the dialogue between Jerome or Augustine's uh, reading and his own reading, at a kind of commentary level.
1: Yes, but do you really have time for that? <laughs> Just give,
0: give. Do you uh, have a taste of uh, a taste. one example?
1: And the differences between Augustine, Jerome, and. Victorinus? Yeah. Yes. Within the confines of a 5,000-word paper, you have to go very narrow and very specific. So I was looking particularly at Galatians 3 and Paul's metaphor for the pedagogue or the tutor, as a metaphor for the law that trains mm-hmm. us. And I wanted to see how each one of them handled that.
2: Mm-hmm. So the
1: nutshell version is... Is that I could see the background of each one kind of influencing their interpretation of it. Victorinus was the Rhetor of Rome. He was a teacher by nature. And so you see him viewing the pedagogus as someone who's guiding towards learning mm-hmm. in the sense that I think we as classical Christian educators want to be, right? Mm-hmm. Guiding, loving them, ushering them towards learning, um, preparing them. For what comes next and that's mm-hmm. the pedagogus for him for jerome he seemed to have and from other works um, i'm drawing not specifically i don't have my notes in front of me but from other works he seemed to be viewing the pedagogus more as a taskmaster a brutal jailer of mm-hmm. sorts and so he had a more negative restrictive view of of that and for augustine we very much saw his monastic influence mm-hmm. how he's writing these as lessons for his monastic brothers and there was that kind of an influence in his interpretation. And so that was really a delight to see and to explore. And to see the connections too, because it's it's highly likely that Augustine was looking both at the work of Jerome and the work of Victorinus, mm. both who had already written commentaries mm-hmm. before he wrote his own, and you could see him drawing a bit from both.
0: Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, is there any place where listeners could find more of your uh, your work, or is that forthcoming?
1: Let's say it's forthcoming and you and I yep. can talk privately later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Very good. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to catch up a little bit and uh, really appreciate the week of work with you and uh, sharing very soon. Uh, we hope the uh, Classical U content that you've been recording.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for the time.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Classical U podcast. Please do check out our website, classicalu.com, and our teacher magazine, Altum. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations with presenters and live learning event hosts with Classical U. Welcome to the Classical U podcast. I'm Jesse Hake. I'm the director at Classical U. Classical U is a subsidiary of Classical Academic Press, a curriculum and monograph publishing company. At Classical U, we provide training for teachers and parents interested in learning more about classical education, how to deliver this method in your classrooms, in your homes. I mostly spend time talking with presenters and live learning event guests, and we look forward to sharing more with you as you tune in. Thank you. Karen, thanks so much for agreeing to do a second episode, podcast episode together. As we focus particularly on your uh, work with a project that's underway, uh, everyone should watch for dates with the Tournament of Laurels, as providing a c- complement, um, additional uh, opportunities for students, uh, somewhat in line with the Junior Classical League, and um, um, enriching experiences for students that have mm-hmm. such a great reputation. Uh, the Junior Classical League is something you've you've enjoyed and been blessed by. Um, can you? Start by sharing some of your own uh, experiences with that, ways in which you see that as a blessing to students um, over your years as an educator.
1: Absolutely. So in our last session together, we discussed that I started becoming involved with Latin in seventh grade. And that's at the same time that I started to become in the National Junior Classical League, which is the, the younger version of that. And it, it's a time of just such happy memories for me as a student. So when I became a teacher, I immediately, both at Regents and later at Grace Academy, established a Latin club and, and took students to participate in JCL conventions, in the area state, and even the national level. The, the beauty of this is students coming together from various schools and with JCL, UC, UC public schools, private schools, homeschool families, JCL's done a great job of making wide open the door for that, coming together to enjoy Latin together. And I know to some people that might sound a little <laughs> bit odd. For our school at Grace Academy, our Latin club was up and running and competing and winning awards before we had a single athletic team. So... For our veteran students, Mm -hmm. who are alumni, I should say, um, the joke is that Latin was our first sport. (laughs) But it was a time of camaraderie, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's the same idea as athletic team in some, sense that you're coming together to accomplish goals together and to interact with other students from other schools, from other places around the city, around the state, around the nation, to celebrator to compete in, to work together in, to wrestle together with in a a common familiar subject. Yep. And, and that was Latin. And that, of course, spawned things outside the competitions. We had Christmas caroling parties. We would build gingerbread construction replicas of ancient works like the Pantheon and the Colosseum at a Thanksgiving time for the local library contest, we had our own, you know, little club parties and outings, so it gave rise to a lot of things, mm-hmm. and something that God has designed us for is community. Mm-hmm. Our students need community, and they need community not only within their own school, something to, to create that band of brothers sense, yeah. but also even to see beyond their school, and I think that's incredibly important. For our classical Christian students and their movement, mm-hmm. because because they're in a private school that their ch- parents have chosen to put them in, and especially because in many cases Latin is a required element, not something yep. they chose, sometimes you can, when you get to the doldrums, it's I'm the only one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: my parents are making me do this. Nobody else understands. I'm yeah. getting into an Eeyore tone here, but that's yeah. that's kind of how some of them will fall into it at yeah. times, even if they enjoy it. Yeah. I think sometimes you feel that way. And so what I found was that coming together as students, it was, oh, wow, I see them doing like things and enjoying like things, and we can now share in these shared experiences together. Yeah. And so for many, many years, I have really had a dream to create something similar For classical Christian schools, not because I didn't love what JCL was doing, but because we're a different creature, if you will. Yeah. And I wanted to provide an environment that would allow for the exploration of ecclesiastical texts, of Christian history texts or Christian yeah. uh, related texts, not to the exclusion of Virgil and Cicero. I love those guys. Yeah. And I want to continue to study Virgil and Cicero. I also, especially after the degree I've just pursued, I really want to extend past Virgil, Cicero, and their cohorts down into the late antique period and the medieval period. You know, in in my manuscript study, I came across one of St. Columba addressing a Loch Ness monster. (laughs) How fun is that? (laughs) But that's way beyond Cicero and Virgil. And I think students would be delighted by that, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, are some projects I'm working on uh, with CAP and uh, in my own school is bringing medieval into the latin curriculum more so again it's about embracing our christian tradition that's in writing yeah. it's about embracing the late antique and the medieval writings and then again these students with this shared experience of this classical christian organization who have things like thesis and logic and rhetoric we need something for them You and I go to wonderful conferences every summer in which we reconnect with old friends and we discuss all these things that we're teaching, these shared experiences. I want the same thing for our students. Mm
0: -hmm. You've mentioned some of the distinctives, uh, you know, uh, over against uh, JCL. Um, It sounds like the focus on um, a longer period of, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the history of the use of Latin, um, bringing in uh, our... Christian heritage and being able to talk uh, in Christian terms um, about that. Um, for those who aren't as familiar with, uh, you know, with this concept um, growing up, you know, loving Latin from seventh grade and competing as a student and then leading uh, leading your own classes, um, sketch out a little bit, um, you know, some of the, the types of competition, the sure. types of events, um, just the lay of the land, uh, particularly in the, um, the league that you're that you're developing Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that's that's a great question so to cast a little bit of a vision of what's still in process there are going to be some similarities and also some very differences from other student conventions that they might have attended there are certainly there are the, the academic tests you will sometimes see that focus on things like etymology reading comprehension these kind of things And these are all actually detailed on the website, which is on the Institute for Classical Languages. If you go to instituteforclassicallanguages.org, I believe, then you can find all the information there. But um, in a nutshell, so we have those academic ones. We will also have some that I call bards and orators where students are memorizing passages Mm -hmm. um some prose some poetry and presenting them in an appropriate manner with the appropriate amount of dramatic flair Mm -hmm. depending upon the category i should also mention as i I go into talking about the bards and the orators that you can either participate in latin or greek which is another distinction Mm -hmm. so for example Paul's address on Mars Hill, I think, is a fantastic speech, and we mm-hmm. could do that from the Greek New Testament. Wow. So that's that's one of the pieces that we're actually looking at, including, hint, hint. Um, Then going beyond that, I think we need to go beyond written text. We need to explore things physically. We need to explore things with beauty. We talk a lot about truth, beauty, and goodness in classical education. So we'll have the fine arts. We will have, as I mentioned earlier, just a love for art with several artists in my family. We'll have an art competition, but tied to specific phrases specific themes one of the things i like to do in my classes is bring art in by showing them peter paul rubin's close ego and saying how does this interpret the storm scene in an one mm-hmm. so i want to do the reverse of that and give students a passage such as the close ego scene mm-hmm. or perhaps a scene from pyramus and thisbe and say how would you interpret this yeah. in your chosen medium Yeah. For um, theater, I would love to see theater competitions. I think that's a great way to do things. But we'll keep it to the traditional, the classical tradition, and keep it to teams of three.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's They had three actors, and those actors played every role. Mm-hmm. And again, you need to tie it to a specific classical work. It, w- it will not be a free-for-all. And then same thing with music, to, to sing the Latin, the songs. Certainly, we'll also have outside the competition, and these are just a few that I'm sketching out, Outside the competition, we want to have times just for fellowship, Mm -hmm. perhaps movie nights, um, perhaps sand volleyball, have times to just hang together, if you will. And then I've actually chosen to host this at the Houston Christian University because I know the amazing professors they have there in the Honors College. And in the School of Christian Thought. And so like what you and I experience when we go to a teacher conference, I want to have times to embrace lifelong learning. So optional seminars for students in topics and sessions that I think would be engaging to -hmm. them. And Houston Christian University has been so overwhelmingly positive in their reception of this idea and enthusiastic that I really just cannot wait to see what's happening there. And I think it will be a wonderful, wonderful event for our students to come together to enjoy fellowship, to enjoy celebrating classical education, specifically with the classical languages, and also to begin to see a vision for what education looks like beyond 12th grade. Mm-hmm. I want to expose them to some of these wonderful universities we have around the country that are very friendly to embracing of the great text tradition and the classical Christian education tradition. And for students to start to see that, uh, see, I think we all need that vision of what comes next, what do I get to aim for?
0: Mm-hmm. What um, grade levels would be uh, would this be serving?
1: At this point in time, it will just be high school. Mm-hmm. I I believe very much in starting small and doing mm-hmm. something excellently and then growing from beyond mm-hmm. that. So I could certainly see extending to middle school someday possibly, but I, I want to start with high school mm-hmm. as we start to form this new event and shape it into something that will benefit this particular, you know, mode of learning in these, mm-hmm. these students.
0: And with this be the objective of uh, an event once a year that would be kind of a culminating event for activities going on in the in the life of the school?
1: At this point in time, it is an annual event that stands by itself. Mm-hmm. I hope that as for my students, the conventions inspired the idea of other things they could do at their school Mm -hmm. and around their community, that this will do the same thing. Mm -hmm. That students will be ignited by this, excited by this. The competitions will be posted this fall. So it's something that teachers could even work into their classroom Mm -hmm. should they choose to do so. That students could work on together outside of class should they choose to do so. And hopefully it spawns wonderful ideas for crazy things they can do with the love of Latin and Greek and classical mm-hmm. languages and all this great literature that we read in and around their community, mm-hmm. and I will leave those parameters to their imaginations and their teachers' willingness. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's exciting uh, to hear about. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking back to m- many wonderful experiences as a teacher myself, where we had opportunities to get together with other schools that kind of sense that you were talking about with the Eeyore you know experience mm-hmm. that, that we all uh, have students certainly have from time to time where you just kind of get a breath of fresh air when you realize you're not the only one. you know there are other schools and uh, and you get good, teachers get good ideas from each other, uh, all of that. Um, do you have a sense? Uh, you know I know it's still in the planning stages, but um, of the time of year, uh, the length of time, for, for these uh, sure. annual
1: events? We're looking at July of 2024, and we're looking at about a three to four day period, depending upon your travel schedule. So for example, students would register and arrive on Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday would be competitions, and Saturday would be celebratory, concluding ceremonies and things like that. All of this would be at the university. And I I should also add that part of the beauty of doing this at a university in the summer is that we will have use of the dormitories. And so it really becomes kind of like classics camp Mm -hmm. because we can all we don't go back to our own hotels at the end of the day. We all stay on campus Mm -hmm. together and we room together and we eat together and we fellowship together and we compete together Mm -hmm. and we enjoy classics together.
0: Um, will there be any qualifications, limitations on the types of institution schools, uh, you know, a homeschool co-op versus a five-day-a-week kind of brick-and-mortar school, uh, charter, classical schools versus uh, faith-based, independent? Do Certainly. you have a sense of some of those options?
1: obviously this is going to be a faith-based event mm-hmm. and so i want to make sure that students teachers parents realize that up front and with it being a faith-based event there are expectations that are befitting a a classical christian event mm-hmm. correct but at that same time i want to open the doors for classical students certainly i'm targeting classical christian schools mm-hmm. classical christian homeschools mm-hmm. um i'm tar- uh, i'm certainly opening the door I know there are many charter schools that while they don't have their Christian in their name they are very much in line with our mission and vision mm-hmm. and I would welcome those students as well
0: That's great so um, as long as the organization was comfortable with uh, the strong uh, celebratory you know Christian uh, aspects to uh, to your life together in the event that would be fine and and homeschoolers like a,
1: a individual even mm-hmm. if
0: they're not connected, Uh, students could register directly.
1: Absolutely, so the beauty of this event is that you can come together as a team, you can also be an individual. Although I would also encourage the individuals if there's a way to network them Mm -hmm. so they can come together and be part of a team, I Mm -hmm. think that would be ideal. And that's something that we're working on. To
0: look for options in their area, whether it's maybe Mm -hmm. plugging into a school or or a homeschool organization. Great. Absolutely. so let's go back. You talked about some of the stories from your own uh, teaching career um, and some of the ways in which you created community for your school. Mm. Um, what are some of the standout um, events, you know, as a teacher, either within your own classroom or you know, some of those events sounded like really uh, beyond the classroom. You know, they were community events or school-wide events. Um, but what stood out to you? Um, ha- how did you come up with the idea of what, um, you know, what kind of planning went into it? I'm really thinking here of teachers listening, uh, you know, sharing a couple mm-hmm. of events that stood out to you as just um, especially meaningful at multiple layers. What did it take to pull them off? What made them, you know, what made them so valuable?
1: I think a lot of that is just keeping eyes and ears open to the interests of the students and the opportunities around your community. Mm-hmm. So the one that stands out as a beloved favorite for me personally, and I know it was for our students as well, I mentioned earlier, was our gingerbread competitions. And that rose out of first, there's something about competition, Jesse, that just ignites our students, right? Mm -hmm. It can be more powerful than a grade (laughs) or a transcript. But if I can beat somebody at something, (laughs) I want to (laughs) go test my mettle. So Our Georgetown Community Library used to have a gingerbread house. And I think they actually stopped calling it gingerbread house, and they just called it gingerbread extravaganza (laughs) because they they had house. But if you looked at the the rules, it didn't say anything about it having to be a house. So we started – well, I have to confess. The first one was me trying to do this by myself. And there's a lesson in this too. We can Mm -hmm. all learn from Karen's failings. (laughs) So me trying with my students – to put together a little model of a Roman townhouse. Mm -hmm. And I was trying... I won't even take up your time with the details. It was a good first effort. Let's just (laughs) say that. And one of the parents, um, her name is Lacey. Lacey's daughter was in my class. And Lacey, who had a degree in child psychology, and so she knew how to talk to a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And she never said one critical word. She just said, you know if you'd like to do this next year, I actually decorate cakes and I do gingerbread things at my house and I'd be happy to help you. And in my head, I'm like, that was very polite, very diplomatically done. Note to self, we're calling Lacey. And she is still one of my dearest friends. Mm -hmm. So Lacey, thank you again. Um, So the next year, she's trying to come up with an idea and I said, okay, Lacey, what what do you think? And she says, the Coliseum. I'm like, whoa, wait, wait. Really? The Coliseum. We're going from my...
2: My muddled townhouse (laughs) to the Coliseum.
1: And she said, nope. She says, I found a template for a football stadium. And she said, that's really what the – the football stadiums Mm -hmm. are based on the Coliseum. So there's a wonderful lesson in that, too. So she retooled. And so every year, Lacey and I would get together. We would pitch some ideas, and Lacey would figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say that's the number one key, Right whatever whatever and this is really a key for life whatever position of leadership god puts you in go find the people who will help you work out excellence because Mm -hmm. you cannot be perfect in every area Mm -hmm. and i was certainly (laughs) not a culinary expert and so what we would do is we would end up having a night at Lacey's house always the day before the build began we would have a club meeting at Lacey's house and whoever wanted to was optional would come and we would have multiple mixers all around Lacey's kitchen brought mm-hmm. in from different parents. And Lacey had everything prepped and ready. And we had the students. And this was the key too. And a, a part of this comes from from Lacey as well. This idea of you don't want to do it for the students. Mm-hmm. You want the students to do it.
2: Yeah. Yep. So
1: she was very good. And I, I just followed her in this, making sure that they knew what to do, what their perimeters were. And then we stepped back, we observed, we watched. And when they needed help, and they asked for it, we would step in. So we would do a mixing night, and then it would usually be a two-day build. Mm-hmm. to, And we would rotate through different classes. So students would come into class. Here's your section. Here's what you're going to do. You are going to be put putting the icing down and building the tiers. You are going to be decorating the Christmas trees. Here's a secret. We always had Christmas trees, always. Because, it, first of all, Saturnalia, Christmas, mm-hmm. gingerbread, it was the season. And also because it always gave something to do to empty hands who needed mm-hmm. something to do. Um, but they were, they were ice cream cones, upside-down sugar cones mm-hmm. decorated with frosting. So we would always do this two-day build. And then after it had hardened, we would take it to the Georgetown Library for display. And then that was also a really neat moment because the students would go back to to the library, to see their work displayed by everybody else's, to vote for their work, which is very important. And then it also became an element of community because we would let the entire school know. The Latin Club, which then became the Classics Club when we started teaching Greek, the Classics Club has completed their... Pantheon, their Colosseum, their mm-hmm. Trojan horse, all the different things. And you can go to the library and see it and please vote for us. Yeah, yeah. And so it became a bit of a community thing. The little kids would say, Oh, I get to go do that yeah. one day. And the the upper school students, they really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. And of course we'd work in a little bit about who built it and where it was and what it was for and sneak in those it's kinda like putting, you know, broccoli somehow in the chocolate smoothie. <laughs> uh, we would sneak those things in. But that was a very fun fun. wonderful memory which unfortunately has discontinued mostly because the library no longer does the contest so we Mm -hmm. we don't have a place to display it anymore but it was a wonderful memory
0: taking advantage of um, opportunities in your community I'm sure that showcased your school you know beautifully as well it
1: did I'm happy to say with all humility that we won multiple times Mm -hmm. so that was it, it was know, a lot of fun do
0: you happen to know of anyone who found out about your school because of that you know, like in the community Ooh, I, that's I mean a good I question. would have to think uh, you know people were saying who did this this is right. where, you know this that's is where really, I want to go yeah, to school yeah.
1: um I don't know that that happened mm-hmm. I don't know that it didn't happen yeah but yeah. but I couldn't say
0: well, that's fun um, so for uh, teachers interested in preparing their students for the kind of uh, traveling, you know, traveling to a competition uh, such as the one you're offering or the, uh, you know, the Junior uh, Classics League. Um, What are some resources, uh, books, materials uh, that you might recommend um, for teachers who want to kind of prep students for those kinds of competitive opportunities uh, in their regular classroom activities Mm. and lessons?
1: that's good well first of all i'd say the purpose of this tournament of laurels the way Mm -hmm. i'm designing it is to complement what I already know most classical Christian schools are studying and doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Yep. I don't want to add to teachers' curriculum. I want to support the curriculum that they already have.
2: Watching and
0: out for school A. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I <laughs> want to add right? more to the plate. Yep.
1: Watching out for Schole and also giving you tools to infuse joy mm-hmm. and delight and another type of goal mm-hmm. for it. So, again, I would say watch the website Institute for Classical Languages as competitions are crafted and posted Mm -hmm. you'll that will help you know what to look for but again it should complement most of what you were doing now there are some things for example as i mentioned earlier that teachers will want to look out for in advance for example i mentioned the competition of the bards and the orators that is poetry Mm -hmm. and prose that could be memorized in advance and so those things would be posted in advance in the fall and i will i will share a secret My students were very successful in this in past competitions, and one reason is that I would see what that passage was in the fall, Mm
2: -hmm. and I would
1: incorporate it into my classical language class, well, Latin class, because they only had theirs in Latin, Um, Latin class throughout the year. Yeah. So it became a class project for my students. Yeah. Because as classical Christian schools, we put great value on memorization and yeah. speaking skills and the art of rhetoric. And if you go back and you look at how Rome trained their great orators, they had to memorize speeches of excellence and deliver them it wasn't about creative writing it wasn't about tell me about your favorite day in the summer it was go look at demosthenes Mm -hmm. go look at cicero memorize his speech and practice delivery Mm -hmm. those are your canons of rhetoric right so that's what we're doing but in short reasonable appropriate pieces so i'd say work that into your curriculum same thing if music teachers if you have a music class and you want to do a latin competition song Or a Greek, I don't even know if there are Greek songs. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. Um, But if you want to do a play, well, then this is something that perhaps your theater class, music class, I know at the end of the year, when the big performances are done, teachers are always looking for, okay, what do I do next to keep them interested? This could be something. Mm -hmm. This could be something where you have these little projects and students come up with their own ideas of how to interpret a work they've already read in your curriculum, yeah. Because we're intentionally tying everything back to classical Greek and Latin works, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, this is designed to help you creatively find ways to support and supplement your curriculum, not to give you something else to add to. Mm-hmm.
0: So, when you reference the Latin songs, are there resources for finding those? Are you, uh, is it student compositions?
1: I would not promote student compositions, no. I would say, Look at all the great number of hymns that mm-hmm. we have. That mm-hmm. could certainly be some of them. The uh, you know. What, our, our lessons in carols we love to do things mm-hmm. like Vainy veiny and adeste Fidelis Yeah. and but it, it doesn't even have to be that you'd be surprised Jesse to see how many songs have already been translated into Latin mm-hmm. it's not terribly hard to find yeah. even little booklets for Christmas carols for example tons yeah. of little Christmas carols and I don't mean veiny veiny which is kind of a, a carol but even things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and yeah. Frosty the Snowman so I think you actually would not have a hard time finding those things yeah. and and making them a fun part of your Latin r- or Greek routine.
2: Yeah.
0: So you're really thinking of um, <clears throat> a lot of it would be Christian, you know, beautiful
1: yes.
2: uh,
0: traditional Christian music. I mean, when you mention Greek, Kyrie uh, Leson,
2: there's
0: many beautiful uh, musical settings of, of that ancient prayer.
1: Yes. Now so. there is Gaudiamus Igator, the celebratory graduation song mm-hmm. we see in Latin. But yes, a lot of it is going to be faith-based. Yeah. And at this kind of a tournament, we we very much welcome and celebrate yeah. that.
0: Wonderful. So, um, going back to your seventh grade year, well, uh, what what was uh, what jumped out in your experience there? I know you referenced the love of teachers, you know that, um, mm-hmm. which you've you've mentioned this uh, in our two podcast episodes a couple of times. But that transfer of um, the the love of the teacher for a subject transferring mm-hmm. to the student uh, as they pick up the love—it's it's almost as much. Um, them responding to the teacher's love as they are responding to the subject itself. I think so. Um, but you know, as a as a seventh grader in the Latin material itself, what what jump? Can you remember anything back Absolutely. to seventh grade?
1: So I'll start with middle school and then jump to to high school. In seventh grade, and I cannot tell you exactly what moment it was because we certainly were not reading original texts in seventh and eighth grade. It suddenly dawned on me at some point in my seventh grade year. If I can learn to read Latin fluently, then I suddenly have a treasure trove of history books, original texts that I can read, not as somebody else interpreted them and translated them, but as the author himself or herself wrote them, the words they chose. And that excited me because I loved history. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can kind of see that now play fast forwarding we won't say how many years, to my study at Edinburgh, <laughs> mm-hmm. where that's what I'm trying to do is yeah. put these pieces together. And so that, I think, captivated my my mind. And I thought, ooh, this could be absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. to be able to read. And, of course, the more I studied, the more I realized just how broad Latin yeah. was in terms of genre and how long it was around yeah. in terms of history and how many authors in all those times and places would have put their stories down in Latin. Yeah. And then so that kind of started me. Mm-hmm. It jump started the engine. But I have to give all credit to Susan Fugate, my high school Latin teacher, for really infusing the beauty and the passion I can remember her ninth grade was the hardest year because we get to the subjunctive. It was all the harder things. And I remember her telling us over and over again, stay with me one more year. Stay with me one more year because it's when you read Latin literature that you will really, truly enjoy the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. And she was phenomenal in the way she would bring wonder into a classroom. I can remember at one point in time very clearly. there We were reading Catullus's poetry, and there was some poem and forgive me, Mrs. Fugate, I cannot remember which poem it was, but something about Catullus and his little bean pod boat. Mm -hmm. She brought in a great big giant bowl of water and a bunch of bean pods Mm. and taught us how to take the peas out and use toothpicks to make little boats and float them around Mm -hmm. in the pot so that we would understand that what the poet was getting at. So things like this, it is with Susan Fugate that I went to Rome for the very first time and we walked around the city and she would point to things and say, do you remember when we read this together?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Here it is. Wow. And I remember walking around that city with her and thinking, Lord, I want to do that someday. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, it was my first time to take students to Italy, which included my eldest son, mm-hmm. and was able to realize that dream. So, again, it was it was also, she was she was just a great mentor to me in every way. And I yeah. will get too choked up if I start to talk <laughs> about it any longer. But she was just a phenomenal person who infused not only a love of Latin within mm-hmm. my soul, a love of teaching, a love of literature. And I remember taking Latin from her and saying, this is not a course in a language. This is a course in world knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that is what I have done my best to infuse into my courses, partly in honor for her and what she did for me, and partly because I just believe it's absolutely what our students need, mm-hmm. and what speaks to their soul.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, I'm hearing a gift that you were given in ninth grade. You just mm-hmm. wanted to give it, you know, to someone else. And um, your use of the phrase, world knowledge, um, just a kind of confidence and uh, a sense of the the wonder and the breadth uh, the meaningfulness of uh, the human experience
1: absolutely
0: thanks so much I've appreciated our conversations together Uh,
1: thank you so uh, much for having me it's always such a great joy to be here with you and Team Cap
0: thank you thank you so much for listening to the Classical U podcast, please do check out our website, classicalu.com, and our teacher magazine, Altum. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations with presenters and live learning event hosts with Classical U.